Father, we just uh, come to you this morning with our hearts lifted towards you, just, just, just wanting revival in our life, Father God, and as a country, as a church body, Father God, just wanting to see you move in and out of the believer's lives, Father God. And as we get into your scriptures today, we pray that we have a little more knowledge on, on how that is accomplished, Father. So we ask that you would anoint this message, anoint our minds and our ears to receive it, and to speak to us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verse 14. That's going to be our main verse for today, but this is going to be a pretty scripture-heavy sermon this morning, because uh, I want you to hear what the Word of God has to say about this and not what Brandon Guidry has to say about this. Uh, my heart has really been heavy over the past couple weeks. Uh, I've had different emotions of anger, different emotions of, of sadness and sorrow for our country and, and the state it's in right now. And I look at the state that we're in, and this is bigger than racism. This is bigger than the country's past mistakes. This is the destruction of our country happening before our eyes. These are people who no longer want to see American values for what, what they are. They don't want to see even Christianity spread throughout our own land and, and to prosperous as believers. They don't want to see any of that. They want the downfall of the United States and, and many other things throughout this world. And this is what we're looking at today. Um, revival and repentance has been on my heart for weeks now since all this has started because that's where we can begin to heal and we can have that better relationship with our Father as believers. Now, our country may never hit another revival like it has in the past. But as individual believers, we can have revival in our own hearts and our own walk with Christ. And that's where it's going to begin. It's also going to begin with the church. Because I don't believe revival is going to start outside these four walls. I honestly don't. We have to clean out the church as well. And uh, if you will join us on Wednesday nights, we're talking about that right now, about Hezekiah, the reforms that he brought in to the nation of Judah. And uh, he started off his reign with cleaning out the temple and restoring the temple of God. And we are the temple of God. Each and every one of us is the temple of God. And we need to start with reviving our own hearts and our own souls for him. And you know, salvation, though is for the lost, and I believe that, I don't believe that revival is necessarily for the lost right away. We have to look at our own hearts, and it starts here in the house of God. Because when you say revival... That means you're bringing something back to life. That means there was life there at some point in time. There was life that was there. And so many Christians in the church today is dead. And they need revival. They need to be brought back to life. And that only comes through Christ. So today we're going to look at four areas that are mentioned in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Chapter 7, verse 14 and I call them God's requirements for revival. We're going to look at humility. We're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at seeking God. And we're going to look at repentance. I believe those four areas within this scripture will lead us to our personal revival in God. So before we read verse 14, I would like to take uh, verses 11 through 13 and read them just to kind of 
give us an understanding of, of where we're at in this text and the reason this verse was, was placed here. So Second Chronicles chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 11. It says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And we're going to stop right there before we get into verse 14. So we see Solomon here is completing the desire of his father's David's heart. David had such a desire to build a house of God, but God told him, basically, because you are a man of war and you have a lot of blood on your hands, you will not be able to build this temple for me. But it was in David's heart to build. He made sure that all the supplies and everything needed to build the temple was gathered up for Solomon. And then we see Solomon here finishing the temple up. And in verse 13, it tells us, and I'm going to reread it, it says, when I shut up heaven... And there is no rain. Or or command the locusts to devour the land. Or send pestilence among my people. When I. That's when God brings judgment on a nation. That's when God was going to bring judgment on the nation of Israel. And if you have read through 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles. You've seen the judgment that was brought on this nation. His beloved people. His chosen ones. And I believe America is not immune to that. There are many sins in America's past and present and future, I'm sure, that should bring judgment by God. But we sit very comfortably in our homes. We sit very comfortably in our nation. And we never think about the judgments of God. And I'm speaking to us as believers. We don't think about the judgments of God. We think New Testament God, full of love, full of mercy, full of grace. Well, that's the same God that was in the God of the Old Testament. That's the same God that brought judgment on the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And that God of grace and peace and mercy was there also. He allowed these nations of Israel and Judah to to go on for over 200 plus years. Constantly giving them chance after chance after chance to repent of their sins and to follow back after him. But as we look at their history... We know that they would never turn back to him fully. Even to this day, the nation of Israel does not turn back to a God who, who basically recreated that country again back in the 1940s. And I'm afraid us as believers here in, in the American church, and I can't speak for the church worldwide, I believe we've gotten to a point where we've forgotten about God. We no, no longer deem him necessary to be in our lives. We'll come to church in the, on Sunday mornings or Wednesday night and we'll go through our little rituals. But it's like we don't want to invite him into our lives anymore. Once I leave these four walls, that's it. That's it, God. You know, I'm, I'm going to leave you there. I'm going to go do my life. And that's why revival or things in our life never seem to work out. Because if you review over First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, anytime these kings would do the right thing and they would worship God, and they would, they, would, they would give their all and, and surrender to him, 
So many good things would, would happen in the nation of Israel. It would prosper and do well. But the minute they turned their back on God, God would send prophets out to them to warn them. God would send prophets out to them to tell them, hey, you need to repent and turn around now. But many of them would not listen to those prophets that were speaking to them. And so God's judgment would come on their country. So we see here Solomon finishing up the temple. God saying, hey, this is a great thing that you did. And then he tells them, hey, when these certain judgments come, not if they come, but when they come, because he knew what was going to happen in the future, he tells them the remedy for that. And it's in verse 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So in verse 14, the very first portion of that verse, it says, if my people who are called by my name will, and we're going to stop right there. He's talking about the nation of Israel in the text. But a modern day application could be us, the church. So if my people who are called by my name, we are Christians, right? Little Christ. We're called after our Savior. By his name, by the name of Jesus, that's, that's what they look at us as. As Christians, they look at it and say, hey, these are Christ's followers. So we are the people called by his name. And he goes on to say, if the people who are called by my name will, number one, humble themselves. Bring ourselves and humble ourselves below the hand of God. He goes on and says, and if they would pray. If they will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repentance. If they do these things, God says, these are the things I will promise them. He says, I will hear from heaven. That means God will hear the cry of the believer who humbles themselves and seeks them. He says, and I will forgive their sins. And then he goes on and says, I will heal their land. I think we all need to cry out to God and to grab hold of his ear and be forgiven of our sin and get our land healed. You know, but before any of that can be done, our spiritual needs must first be addressed. And the spiritual needs here in the U.S. is huge. And before these physical areas in the United States can be fixed, whether it's the riots, whether it's this COVID-19, and you can, the list can go on of areas that we need fixed in our life and in our country. We must first fix our eyes on Jesus. It's not about being on the Republican side. It's not being about the Democratic side. It's not being on Black Lives Matters or whatever other label you want to give these groups that are, that are fighting with each other. It's about whose side are you on. And that side needs to be God's side because he's not taking favor in either one. And we shouldn't either. We need to be focused on Christ and his word as we go out into this country that, that is hurting and dying right now. We need to be with Christ and his word. That's the team we need to be on. So let's go ahead and start with the first requirement for genuine revival, and that is humility. He says, for those who call or call by my name will humble themselves. And we're going to look at the first thing. We're going to look at the opposite of being humble. We're going to look at pride. And then we'll get into humility. 
So pride hinders genuine revival. And guess what? God hates pride. He hates pride. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's not me saying it. That's God saying it. It says, Though they join forces, none will, be, none will go unpunished. So God hates pride. Pride is the opposite of humility. Pride promotes oneself over God. Pride tries to make decisions on their own instead of including God in those decisions. Pride does not desire to serve or to worship God in any form. Pride is all about self. And our selfishness can kill us, physically and spiritually. There's also a spiritual pride. That's those who think they know everything there is about the Bible and everything there is about the Christian living. And passes judgments on others, but never takes time to look at their own self. And that they're not following the word of God or their life does not reflect a genuine worship and service to God. I call those saved Pharisees because they're acting just like that. They, they, they're into legalism and everything else and that pride is killing them. Number two, pride harms the individual. Pride can bring destruction. Proverbs 16 verses 18 and 19 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better, better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Our continuing, our continuing pride will bring us down to destruction. We must let go of pride. Pride can also bring shame to the believer. It says Proverbs 11.2 When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble, there is wisdom. Because when you're humble, you're able to be molded, implied to what God has for us. But when we're pride, we have a hard wall over our hearts that can't be mended, that can't be fixed and formed into his likeness. Pride leaves little hope for improvement. Proverbs 26, 12, you, I have a lot of scripture today, so if y'all want to write some of this down to look at it later, go ahead and do that. Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? And we see a lot of that today. There is more hope for a fool than for him. More hope for a fool than for him. Pride causes a person to forget God. Psalms 10, 4 says, the wicked in his proud countenance, does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And how easy in the hustle and bustle of our everyday life can we just forget God? We go to work, we're so stressed with work, we forget adding God to our work. We're having issues at home, we're having family members that, are, that we're having problems with. We try and take care of it on our own instead of including God because our pride gets in the way. And I definitely believe that is where our country is today. Pride has destroyed our country. From the politicians down, pride has destroyed it. I also believe that pride has also destroyed the church here in America. They're so proud of their ways that they worship and the ways that they have their buildings built and the way that they dress when they come 
to preach the Word of God, and they forget about the Word of God. They let that pride build up in them. And guess what? God hates pride, and God and pride can harm an individual, but God also chastens the proud. God brings them low. In Proverbs 29, 23, it says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. We need to keep that humble spirit within us. When we first got saved, when we knew we were sinners in need of a Savior, we need to keep that within us and not the pride. For it is better that we choose to humble ourselves before God before God decides to humble us. And I think we're seeing that in the United States right now, that God is humbling the United States of America. Will we answer that call and humble ourselves? Four, pride makes us blind to our own true spiritual conditions. You don't have to turn there, but I will. And it's uh, Revelations 3, verses 14 and 17. This is talking about the church of Laodicea. In verse 14, it says, And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. So this is Jesus speaking. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So he wishes you were one or the other, not stuck in the middle. So he goes on and he says, So then, because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, it says, Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This church here was blinded spiritually. They thought because they were wealthy, they thought because they had a comfortable building to worship in, they thought because... They, they, they were all well paid. They had need of nothing. That they must be doing the works of God. This has to be what God wants. Look at us. Everything's going great. But God is telling them here that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Your wealth does not, de- does not define your walk with Christ. Just because you are comfortable and well off right now does not mean that you are in a right standing relationship with Christ. The United States is one of the wealthiest countries in the world and has been for a very long time. That does not mean the United States is in right standing with God today because it's not. And so many people in our country are blind to that simple fact. They think that wealth equals salvation. They think that wealth equals great relationship with Christ, and it doesn't. And I don't know what it's going to take for our country to to turn around and turn back to Christ, turn back to his first love. I don't know what it's going to take. Maybe another economic breakdown, maybe this COVID-19, maybe these riots will finally open the eyes of the blind in our country. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, Pride hinders revival because the Spirit must work on us rather than work through us. Humility is to make the right estimate of oneself. It's very easy to evaluate others' lives and point out the inconsistencies in their lives and the, and 
the, the wrongs in their lives and the sins in our lives than to turn around and to evaluate our own selves. Because we often don't want to see the sin in our lives. We often don't want to see that we are not walking with Christ like we should. We don't want to see those things. So we never do that self-evaluation on ourselves. Now, a little bit better news. We're going to look at the results of heartfelt humility. So we've seen what pride can produce, and it doesn't produce anything good in the believer's life, or anyone's life for that matter. But now we're going to see what the results of heartfelt humility can produce. It can produce God's grace. Proverbs 3, 33 through 34 says, The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. So we can gain God's grace when we, when we bring ourselves down and, and become humble. Result of heartfelt humility also brings God's forgiveness. Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Happy is the man who is always reverent, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. The results of heartfelt humility will also bring God's blessings. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The creator of our universe cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for each individual in here. And that in itself should humble us before him. So heartfelt humility also gives us God's ear. Psalms ten seventeen through 18 says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. So he hears the desires of those who humble themselves. It says, you will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more, be, be oppressed no more. So he lends us his ear to hear the problems we have. But those who humble themselves before God, he is listening to what we are going through. So what would we do about the pride that we have? I pray we humble ourselves. I pray we listen to the words that we hear here in Scripture and we humble ourselves before God. I believe humility is perhaps the key to revival. It opens the door to revival. Because if you do not first humble yourself before God and recognize your neediness before him, you will not pray, you will not seek his face, and you will not repent of your sins because pride will, will not allow you to do it. So we ask now, are you willing to pay the price for personal or corporate revival? And I'm asking the believer, will you humble yourself, confess your sin, and receive the grace and forgiveness of God today. 
I'm asking the unbeliever, will you humble yourself before God and ask for his salvation through Jesus Christ? So our first key to revival is, is humbling ourselves before a holy God. Realizing that pride kills and harms the individual, but if we humble ourselves before God, it unlocks the keys to the rest of revival. And our second requirement for revival is going to be prayer. Everybody okay? All right. So humility is definitely the key to revival because apart from humility, it is just a religious practice that we go through. If you're not doing it humbly, but you're just doing it because let me check the blanks off, you're not doing it right. However, prayer is what gets things done. James 4.2 says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. We need to be in constant communion with God. We need to be in constant conversation with God. It can be considered sin if we don't. Pray to our God. God commands us to pray. He wants to communicate with us and talk with us, commune with us, just like any good father here on Father's Day would want to do with their children. God commands us to pray because he says pray always. Luke 18, 1 says, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. First Thessalonians 5.17 tells us to pray without ceasing. And does that mean I'm hitting my knees every two seconds to pray before God? No, but it's to be in a constant attitude of prayer. As I go throughout my day, I'm speaking with God. Situations come up, I'm asking him for, for advice on what I should do. is in constant communion with God. And then he tells us to pray everywhere. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Pray everywhere you go. Go to McDonald's, pray. Go to work, pray. Go to your house, pray. Then he tells us to pray in everything. Philippians 4, 6, verses 6 through 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Pray in everything. Pray for everything. Continuously be in prayer. And prayer should be as natural as talking to a friend or talking to my father or talking to a cousin or talking to my wife. It should be a natural part of life. And sometimes, if we're not praying, God will bring us to a place of prayer. God uses times of need to stimulate prayer. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We know whenever we're in time of need, we want to pray to God. God uses troubles and problems to stimulate prayer sometimes. He'll allow those circumstances to happen. It says, Psalms 102, verses 1 and 2 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. 
Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. God uses physical sickness and problems sometimes to bring about prayer in the believer's life. James 5, 13, 14 says, If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. If anyone among you is sick, let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So God will bring circumstances within our life to bring us to prayer and to bring him closer to us. So God commands us to pray. He will sometimes stimulate prayer in our circumstances. So if you're going through a hard time and you're not understanding why, pray. That's what he's there for. He wants to hear from his believers. He wants to hear from those he loves. So what will it take to get you to view prayer as a necessity? Not just something that we, we have the privilege of doing, but a necessity in our life. And we ask ourselves, well, why, why are so many of my, my loved ones, my family members, my friends, why are they not saved? Well, maybe it's because you haven't been praying. Maybe we need to pray more on that. Why do problems, whether it's physical, spiritual, financial, happen in my life? Well, are you praying? Are you asking God to help you in these matters? And why do our efforts to live a Christian life seem to end in defeat at times? Well, are we communing with God? Are we even in relationship with God? Are we even talking with him on a daily basis like we had just talked about? Praying and everything, praying everywhere, being in an attitude of prayer. Or are we even there with him? And look, and I'm, I'm teaching up here, but I'm speaking to myself while I teach. Because I have these struggles too, that I may go days without praying. I'm like, well, why did I do that? No wonder this happened in my life. Because I wasn't in communion with God. All of our failures are a failure to pray. I believe that. I believe the church in America is a prayerless church. I know that's hard to swallow sometimes, but I I believe that. Christian, will you commit yourself to be more faithful in prayer? To have a more faithful prayer life? And to the unsaved, the one prayer you need to start off with is to pray to God for salvation. All right, our third requirement for revival is seeking God. So we've looked at humility, we've looked at prayer. Now we're going to look at seeking God. So now that we're going to look at seeking God's face, I want to, I want to look at uh, three different gentlemen that talked about seeking God. Three quotes from them. Number one is D.L. Moody. He said, we ought to see the face of God every morning before we see the face of man. Number one thing we should do in the morning we wake up is seek the face of God. Pray to him, worship him, call out to him, thank him for waking you up in the morning before you see anyone else's face. That should be number one in the Christian's life. J. Vernon McGee said, what is your ambition in life today? Is it to get rich? Is it to make a name for yourself? Is it to even to do something wonderful for God? Listen to me, beloved. The highest desire that can possess any human heart is to long to see God. We should have a longing for God. 
Not just to bring requests to him, but just a, a longing to be with him and see him. A.W. Tozer said, If we yearned after God, even as much as a cow yearns for her calf, we would be the worshiping, we would be the worshiping and effective believer God wants us to be. If we longed for God as a bride looks forward to the return of her husband, we would be far greater force for God than we are now. Do we long for God? Do we long to seek his face? I remember whenever we had the men's study um, a couple years back, we were going through a book, Ian Bounds. And he, he would talk about spending hours seeking after God's face, hours on his knees praying. And I'm just not talking about one or two hours. I'm talking about five, six, seven hours a day praying after God. He had a heart to know who God was. And I believe here in the church today in 2020, we don't seem to have that desire. I'm going to be honest, I don't have that desire. I want that desire to be able to be on my face before God for that amount of time. So what does it mean to seek God's face? So seeking God is a sincere and persistent effort on the part of the seeker to reach out to God in order to enter into his presence. Now, this may be motivated by request. We may need something from him. We may need his intervention in our lives. We may need his mercy and we may need his forgiveness. But most significantly, it should be motivated by the desire to know him more intimately. To know him more than the needs we have. To know him more than for him to even intervene in our lives. Just to be able to sit at his feet and worship him. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Paul said he wanted to know him. He wanted to know and understand to become acquainted with him. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. Like a husband should know his wife and a wife should know his husband. That kind of intimacy. And what does that take? That takes spending time with him at his feet. Then he also says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection to share in the spirit experience of his powerful victory. To be able to share in that victory that he had in his resurrection. And it says also to know in the fellowship of his suffering, to participate with him in his humility and his suffering. Because we will be persecuted as a church. We will go through sufferings for Christ. And then to conform to his death, to be like him in humble obedience on the cross, to die to ourselves. We talked about pride in the beginning. To die to that pride that we have in our hearts. To die to self, to where it's not about us, but it's about him. That's what will bring revival. It is the intimacy that ultimately produces imitation. So when we have that intimacy with Christ, we will start to imitate his ways and his, his words and his actions in our own life. You know, churches are full of people with Bible knowledge. Full of people who, who go through the routines and, and quote scripture and they teach you the mechanics of knowing and seeking God. 
But I don't sense that in today's church. I don't sense that very often in today's church. So much of us come in here and we sit in the pews and we listen to someone speak, and that was great, we're motivated, and we go home for the week. And don't even let it get into our hearts. And we wonder why things in our country are happening the way they are. We wonder why our families and our lives are not going the way we planned them. Because we're not seeking after God. I hear so much criticism and negativity inside the church. I hear fault finding. I hear judgment in the church. But I don't hear someone saying, hey, let's seek the Lord together on that situation you're struggling with. We don't hear that in our church anymore. and We need to start hearing more of that. And I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't exist. I know there are people, good, strong believers in the church that are doing the things of God. But overall, a church here in America is not seeking God's face. And that's why we are the way we are. So how do we seek God? How do we? We, we, we just talked about what, what it is to seek God's face. It's to, to want to have intimacy with him, want to have that relationship with him, and to actually know him and just not know about him. So what do we do to seek God? Number one, we talked on the last one was through prayer. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore go boldly before the throne of God that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Prayer, go through the throne room of God, go before him. We also, to seek God, we need to go with a prepared heart. We must be willing to remove the idols or the other gods that are sitting in the throne of our hearts. We must have our heart prepared to seek God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So to go with a prepared heart is to go before God, confessing our sins, clearing our heart out of all the junk and dirt that we have in there to come holy before him and to seek him. We have to come in humility. We just read that. That we've got to come before God, not in pride, but to come with humbly before him. We need to come wholeheartedly. Psalms 119.2 says, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with a whole heart. That doesn't mean that your heart is divided in what it wants. But it must be wholehearted. It must come together and to seek after God. We must come willingly. We shouldn't be forced to come to God. We should willingly want to come before God. Psalms 27, 8 says, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Coming here on Sunday is one of my favorite times of the week. Because I get to come and I get to seek God and be with other believers in fellowship. Because the rest of the week, I'm with people who are unbelievers. Who are backbiters. Who can care less about God. But I come here in fellowship with other believers. This is the favorite time I have during the week. And I willingly want to, but how many of us don't want to get out of bed in the morning to come to church? How many of us don't find that joy to come to church? We just find it as another chore, another check the box for the week and what we have to do. It brings no joy to us to come here. Search your heart. We also have to come with diligence and faith. 
Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must try to seek God with faith. And then I'm going to say, seek God early. It's like D.L. Moody said that the first face you should seek in the morning is God's face before you seek man's. Psalm 63, 1 and 2 says, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. My soul thirsts for you. Does your soul thirst for God? Do you hunger after the things of God? We should. We should be thirsty for God and his ways and his word and, and praying with him and fellowshipping with him. That should be what quenches our thirst is when we come to his word and we pray with him. That should quench our thirst. So if we are, if we are to experience God's revival whether a person or a corporate, we must first humble ourselves, pray, and seek after God. Christian, when was the last time that you felt an urgency, a deep sense of helplessness to seek after God? I mean, so deep that you felt like you might die if you're not able to see the face of God. And I'm going to speak for myself, I have not felt that. Over the years. These past couple of weeks are driving me to that though. I'm angry because of where our country's at. And I want to know God. I want to seek him and know what his will is. I don't care about the other groups. God, what is your will for us and our country? That's what I want to know. That's what's driving me right now. And we can do a lot of good things for God and that's great. But do you have a thirst and a hunger for the things of God? Are we seeking his face or are we turning away from him? Our country is turned away from him, and that's why we're at where we're at today. We've got to seek God's face. <sighs> to the unsaved, make him your savior today. Because we don't know how long he's going to tarry before he comes back to receive his church. And if you're unsaved, I want you to be in that, that, that procession that's going up to see God. I want you to be with us. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today. If you're not saved, today is the day. And the fourth and last requirement for, is repentance. So as we close, we're going to study a little bit about repentance because he says in the last part there before he gives the promises of what he will do, he tells us that if we turn from our wicked ways, and we all have wicked ways, he says that he is willing to forgive us, cleanse our land. In Acts 17.30, it says, Truly, these times of ignorance God has overlooked, and he has overlooked a lot of ignorance in, <laughs> in, in the history of the earth. He says, But now commands all men, all men, all women, that's universal, everywhere to repent we must repent of our sins before god the old testament word for repent is shub s-h-o-o-b so i hope i said that right it says to to return or to turn back or to turn away from so basically it's telling us here that we need to turn 
from our sins and turn towards God. In layman's term, that's what it's telling us right there. So true repentance is best defined, as far as the Old Testament is concerned, is a sorrow over our sins because we know it has grieved God and affects others, and that we're broken over our sins. Or have we come to the point where we're broken over our sins? I'm going to say I haven't. I want to be. There may be sins that I am broken over. And there's others that I'm still struggling with that, Lord, please break me over these sins. That the individual chooses to turn from his sin and turn his heart to God. Now, in the New Testament, the word used there is metanoia. That means to change one's mind, to change one's mind for the better, uh, heartily to amend with appearance of one's past sins. So whenever you see the word repent or repentance or what have you, that's the word we use in metanoia. So repentance has been described as this. In repenting, one makes a complete change of direction. It's a 180 degree turn. I'm going one direction. I've decided I don't want to go that way anymore, and I turn back. I go back the other direction. So that's a turn towards God and away from sin. Repent or repentance or repentant is, is used over 100 times, if not more, in the Bible. I would think it's a pretty important word and pretty important action we need to take on our part. The church of Laodicea that we talked about earlier had set up all these idols in their hearts. They had the money, the possession, the status, the independence, and had lost sight of their spiritual need. Have you set up idols in your own heart that that causes you to not repent before God? Have these idols become more than God? And then the next question you have to ask yourself, if you want revival in your own lives as individuals, are you willing to repent of those idols and that sin? Are you willing to do that? Some of, us in, some of us in here will say, yes, I am. Some of us will sit here and say, yes, and lie to themselves. And I know this is kind of hard. I know this is it's hard to swallow, but this is something we need to hear as a church because for too long the church is not hearing this. They're hearing a great message that motivates them on Sunday and they go home and, and nothing changes. So until you decide to re- re- repent, until you do, you will never experience a personal revival in your life. You will continue to go through the same rigmarole of life that you've been going through. You will not know the joy of the Lord or the spiritual power that is available to you in Christ. A Christian's life must be a life of repentance. We need to live that out daily. Repentance is a daily thing. Yes, our sins were forgiven on the cross, and we are covered, but we have to realize that we still are in this tent, this flesh that causes us to sin, and every day we need to go before the Father and ask for forgiveness of our sins. So I'm asked, Christian, when was the last time you really searched your heart and life to see if there were idols in your heart which led to iniquity or led to sin? Do that today. Search your heart. Maybe it's money or your job that is your idol. Maybe it's possessions. Maybe it's position or status. Even in ministry, your status in ministry can become an idol. Pride, hypocrisy. You want to appear to be someone you're not in public, but you know the truth about yourself. Relationship or a person, 
Maybe it's sexual immorality or lust. Cheating, stealing. Maybe your, maybe your own hobby or your habits may be your idols. I'm going to go fishing on Sunday instead of coming to church. That can become your idol. NFL football, NBA basketball can become your idol. Any number of these things can be put before God in your life. Now we want to ask the question, would you, be able to, would you be willing to examine your own life and determine whether you need to get it out of your heart for God can come and move back in? And to the unsaved, would you be willing to repent of your sin and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? Salvation is not promised tomorrow. Your next breath is not promised to you. And there is no heaven without Christ. So search your heart on that. In, conf- in conclusion, if we really, truly want revival, if we truly want to change our country where it is today, it will have to start here at the church. It will have to start with each individual believer today. You and me, to humble ourselves, pray, seek God, and repent, and God will heal our land. Amen? Father, we do come to you, Lord, and I pray humbly we come to you to seek after your face, to pray on behalf of our country, and the turmoil that it is in, Lord. We ask that you would heal our land, that you would forgive us of our sins, of our pride, and that we would be able to walk anew with you, Father, and that you would get glory for all of this, that none of us would get glorified for it, Lord, but that you would get all the glory for the revival that needs to start in our heart, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.